If you would like to turn um, in your Bibles this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. The title of my message this morning is Living with Multifocal Lenses. Living with Multifocal Lenses. You see, over the past seven years, I have been on a journey with my eyes. It happened almost immediately that I turned 40, that suddenly I was needing to squint to read the backs of packets and work out what the ingredients of things were. Seven years later, I now need to squint without my glasses on at my big print Bible. And, I mean, I have over the last seven years embraced reading glasses, but I have to say that it doesn't work so well for preaching or anything where I need to be able to shift my focus from something up close to something further away. And so what happens when I'm preaching is that this is great when I need to read. I can read, and in fact I can't read without them unless I made my sermon about an 18 font, which means then it's about 20 pages long. But if I have them on, you all look really blurry. And so... I went to the optometrist this year and I got my first pair of multifocal lenses. But I have to be honest with you, the problem is they make me feel dizzy. Afterwards, if anybody has any tips, you can let me know because you all look lovely and clear, but if I look sideways, it all gets a little bit woozy. So I'm already feeling the sense of the presence of the Lord this morning. I don't really need help to possibly fall over. So I'm, I'm going back to the optometrist to ask him what he can do to help me. But as is often the way in my life, God will use things that are happening in the natural for me to speak of deep, deeper kingdom principles. And so this morning I want to talk about what it means to live with multifocal lenses. You see, in our life and in our Christian walk, I'm going to have to perch them on the end of my nose, um, we need to be able to bring into focus both the things that are up close, the things that are right in front of us now, and the things that are at a distance or in the future even. When looking at um, scripture for somebody who lived their life with a multifocal lens, of course, Jesus did that perfectly. He was able to stop for the one time and time again and yet also always have his eyes on the ultimate purpose for his coming. He was able to keep in perfect tension being saviour of the world whilst investing directly into the lives of 12 ordinary men. He lived a multifocal life. But today, as you will know, we don't find about Jesus in 1 Samuel 17 exactly. Um, I actually want to look at a familiar story from early in David's life. And I really believe that what we find here is a picture of what it looks like to live a life with a multifocal lens. 
So just to give you a little bit of background, at the point that we're going to pick up the story in chapter 17, David is already been anointed to be the future king of Israel. And he's at the moment living a life, switching between faithfully serving his father, looking after sheep, and also serving Saul in the palace, ministering with music, because by this point, Saul is being um, tormented by spirits and the music that David plays soothes him. And the Philistines have gathered against the Israeli armies and for over 40 days, their champion Goliath has been challenging them to choose a man from their ranks to try and defeat him with winner takes all. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 12 of chapter 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brother... Oh, no, actually, I'm going to start in chapter, on verse 12. Sorry, verse 12. Skipping ahead a bit. Verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul... The man, that is Jesse, was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shemar. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an aphar, I think that is, that basically is 22 litres, um, is the kind of the measure of this parched grain. When I read that, I did wonder if it was, they were, he was sending them beer and sandwiches, but actually parched grain is not beer, it's roasted grain. There you are. So take for your brothers a lot of parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers and also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands. So he's got a lot of shopping bags. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. The Israel, um, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And so what happens as David arrives is things are getting a little bit interesting. And so he's drawn into what's happening. And his brothers are not at all happy to see him. In fact, they belittle him in front of everybody and say, well, shouldn't you be with the sheep? Who's looking after the sheep? What are you doing here? Have you just come to gawk? That was the Catherine paraphrase. It's not actually a Greek word. Um, and so... David is not put off, though, and so what he ends up with, because he's really persistent, is he ends up in front of Saul offering to fight the giant. And we'll pick up the story in verse 33. And Saul said to David, 
You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And, as, um, and, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he is defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And so then Saul tries to put his armor on David, But David chooses to go out to face Goliath as he is, with only the tools of his trade as a shepherd, his staff and his slingshot. And as he arrives there, Goliath hurls insults at him. I'm quite sure he was thinking, well, I'm going to have this whippersnapper for lunch. And let's see what happens in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. (laughs) And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and the spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it and struck the Philistine, in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. David demonstrated living life looking through a multifocal lens. Here he was thinking like an anointed king of Israel while serving sandwiches as a shepherd boy. You see, David could have really been quite justified in still feeling very hurt and angry about the way that his father overlooked him when Samuel came to find the next king and he lined up all of his sons. You know the story. Had not even thought about David until Samuel had got to the end of the line. I'm like, well, it's none of these. Have you got any other sons? Oh, yeah, there is David. He also could be justified in feeling upset by the fact that he has big brothers who won't even give him the time of day. He has every reason to have a chip on his shoulder and a desire to lord over everybody his new anointed position. To refuse sheep care and lunch catering as actually being beneath his station. He's going to be the next king. But David has obviously already learned a thing or two in his short 15 years of life. And that's what age he would have been, they think, at about this stage. 
If you've still got your Bibles open, you might like to have a quick look back at chapter 16. So this is before this has all happened. And verse 18, where David is recommended to Saul. Saul is desperately looking for somebody to play music to soothe him from these tormenting spirits. And David is recommended to Saul by one of his servants in this way. As a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. He hasn't done anything of note at this point. I can kind of imagine him being described as this after he's slayed Goliath. But actually, in this case, his reputation precedes him from the sheep fields, not the battlefield. He has learned to be faithful in the little things. And I find it amazing that even after David has suffered this put down from his brothers on the battle lines about why aren't you with the sheep, that he actually doesn't despise his small beginnings. Instead, he references them to Saul as the very reason why he feels confident to go out against Goliath. I have history with God, he says. This same God who's delivered me from the lions and the bears as a shepherd boy will deliver me from this Philistine. My God has done it before and he will do it again. And then as he faces Goliath, he chooses not to put on his kingly armour and yell at Goliath about his high calling and that he's the future king of Israel. Instead, he faithfully uses the skills and the equipment that he already has in his toolbox as a shepherd, a slingshot and a stone to take down a giant. Something that I found interesting is that whereas Goliath, when he issues the challenge um, for somebody to take him on, he asks for someone who serves Saul to fight him. Young David stands and declares himself to be in the service of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Can you just see him shifting focus the whole time? The God, the armies of Israel, my slingshot in my pocket. Like the whole time, there's just this whole multifocal thing going on for him. And he navigates beautifully this tension between keeping sight of the vision and the calling and the promises of God for his life in the distance, whilst not getting so caught up in the dream that he fails to be faithful in the moment and obedient to what God has placed in front of him. I think it's really important to note it's another 22 years until David takes the throne of Israel from this point. So how is your vision? There are many reasons as to why we might become more predominantly long or short-sighted that aren't just to do with age. Where we lose flexibility in our focus, the ability to shift backwards and forwards in our focus. You know, maybe you feel bogged down and overwhelmed by things that are right in front of your face right now. The circumstances of life can sometimes feel, make us feel very closed in, where life just seems to shrink down. 
and our perspective and our hope for the future is hard to see as we squint into the distance, somewhat stuck with our reading glasses on, if you like. Sometimes when life feels like that, our very notion of who God is himself shrinks too. I've had such seasons in my life, experiencing postnatal depression, the trials where the end of the runway just doesn't seem in sight and life just feels very up in my face and that everything in the distance just seems blurry and I've just lost sight of the big picture and how big my God is. Maybe some of you can relate to that. I've also had seasons in my life where it's actually been necessary to have a short focal range. And I think it is worth making the distinction between the hard things that cause life to feel like it's shrunk and those times where we are not to despise small beginnings or the mundane and the ordinariness of our life and that we're to not become weary of doing good in the midst of our life. And I, I guess it's important to make that distinction. So there are seasons in our life where there's a necessary short focal range. You might be parenting small children or starting a new job that requires a really narrow intention and focus while you get your head around it. You might be moving house or caring for aging parents or you may have consciously made a choice to slow life down enough so that you can focus on health and recovery or even make room for a season of grieving or inner healing. There have been many times in my life where God has kept me from being able to see too far ahead and in doing so taught me how to live in the now faithfully. I think that many of you know that I am part of a four-person running team uh, running a 105-kilometre um, race in total and I promise I won't keep going on about this but it is right in front of my face at the moment two weeks till race day and the leg of my race is the very last one and so the likelihood is that I will be racing at least half of the four hours that I'll be running in the dark and so I've been practicing doing that with my head torch on and running the leg that I'll be running and in fact the first time that I ran that leg it was in the dark and I then went back the following week to run it in the daylight and I said to my running partner as we came up to this phenomenally steep set of hills, did I run this way last week? And she said, yep, you certainly did. And it was just really amazing how mentally more daunting it was to be able to see the steep hills than it was when I had my head torch on and literally all I could see was the bit that was lit up in front of me and just getting one foot in front of the other. And Psalm 119 came to mind, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's no promise here that he will always light up everything just enough to help us keeping one foot in front of the other. And in fact, I would suggest to you that there are many times where it's God's grace that we can only just see far enough in head to get our next step. Um, 
And I think that it's really important for us to learn to recognize the difference between God's boundary lines of grace and beginning to become too short-sighted. It's really important for us to be able to recognize the difference between those two things. So in your life at the moment, do you recognize the symptoms of being too short-sighted? Have you completely lost sight of the bigger picture? I think when God's boundary lines are in place in a grace um, place, there will still always be that encouragement and a reminder of where we're heading. But when we become too short-sighted, when life just kind of feels like it's boxed us in, it actually gets to the point where it's difficult to shift our focus. It's like we're fixed in the gaze of everything right up close and in front of us. And I was thinking about this. All of my girls have been avid readers. In fact, it sounds ridiculous, but we actually had to get to the point of setting times where you didn't read because you didn't read at the table and if I'd picked you up from school, you didn't read in the car because I wanted to hear about your day. But literally, they would spend, if they could, hours and hours at a time reading. And what happened is it started to impact their eyes and the advice that we were given was that they were to get their book, count 20 pages ahead and stick a bookmark in it and then when they got to that bookmark, they had to remember to look up and look into the distance to keep the flexibility of their focus. And similar advice is given to people who use computers a lot, that you should have an alarm to set for 30 to 40 minutes, always remembering to look up and allow your focus to fix on something in the distance so that you don't damage your eye's ability to be flexible in focal length. And I think this has a spiritual application in our lives too. Often, when we take the time to set a metaphorical bookmark to remind us to look up, to refocus, and then to look back again at what's right in front of us, we actually have a renewed perspective. Would you turn with me to Psalm 57? This is another time in David's life. Saul's got a bit cranky with him by this point, and... Uh, He's pursuing him to kill him. And David finds himself in a cave. Life has literally shrunk for him. And it must be pretty hard when you're having to hold, hold up in a cave to have any sense of your focus and vision for the longer term. And as I read this psalm to you, I want you to listen to him as he wrestles between telling God all his woes and everything that's happening in front of him and asking God to get him out of the mess, please, and proclaiming who God is in worship. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. He's trying to get his focal lens out there. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. He will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. 
My soul is in the midst of lions, shifted back down to what's going on. I lie down amid fiery beasts and the children of man whose teeth and spears and arrows and whose tongue is like a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, he's trying hard, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. They set nets for my steps. I'm back to what's going on around me. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. Oh, he's getting there. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to the Lord among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. What an amazing picture of setting a metaphorical bookmark in the midst of a cave season to get his focus to be able to be flexible enough to remember who his God is and the promises that his God has for his life. So in your life, how might you cultivate a habit of remembering to look up and to keep your focus flexible. These are just a few of my thoughts. But spending time in the word of God. I hope that if you receive words and promises from the Lord, you write them down. And sometimes it's worthwhile just revisiting the things that God has spoken to you over your life, over the seasons. Worship and praise God for who he is. I have to say that recently our CD has been one of those key bookmarks for me of helping me to just keep my focal length from shrinking. Ask close friends to walk with you and help you remember to lift your gaze and to remind you of the bigger picture. There are many things that you may think of right now and I really just trust that God will begin to speak into your life about ways that can help you keep your focus flexible to be able to keep remembering to look further out. But being short-sighted is not the only problem. It is also possible to be too long-sighted, to have clear eyes for the future, but to be squinting at the small print. And let's face it, most of life is in the small print. That may look like that struggling to be faithful in what's right in front of you, constantly longing for what's ahead and unable to be content in the now. And dare I say it, it may even look like feeling like sheep care and sandwich making are beneath us, too menial and not a part of our higher calling. If you are struggling with being too long-sighted, can I encourage you this morning to ask God to renew your sense of purpose in what is in front of you right now. 
Of course, we are meant to have an awareness of the longer distance, to know with assurance that the God who has promised is faithful, to have our eyes open to the hope to which we've been called and to have a sense of God's purposes and his calling on our lives. What I'm really wanting to highlight here is flexibility in focus. That physically and spiritually, we need to be able to switch focus between the fine print and what is in the distance to maintain healthy vision. God is not more present in one focal length than another. One is not more spiritual than another. Both are needed. We serve a God, a Father, who delights in our faithfulness to um, the detail and the ordinary and mundane of our lives, whilst also being the God of the big picture and the impossible. I just want, rather than rushing away this morning, just to give you an opportunity to spend a moment considering where is your vision right now? Where do you need to invite God to bring perspective to help you keep your focus flexible? And this morning, will you allow him to recalibrate your vision where that's needed to live your life with a multifocal lens? Father, we do just invite you right now, knowing you are the God who loves to speak to and communicate with his people. We recognize at times, God, we need to do a vision assessment to just get an idea of God of whether we've become too fixated at one focal length or another. God, we want to be a people who have a kingdom focus. To be a people, God, who do not despise the small things and the things that you've placed right in front of us. To be faithful, God, in what you've called us to in the, in the now. But we also recognize, Father, there are times where life feels like it's shrunk so much that it's hard to see into the distance. So we just invite you right now, we take a moment, God, to allow you to do a vision check, to speak to our hearts, God.